All right, it is an honor to come and be a part of y'all today and to, to, to share a sermon, a message with y'all. While Brother Sean, he is on a much-deserved vacation, and, um, and uh, he's had a good time, I know, and so he had a, a time off, and so I'm thankful to be able to, to share this with y'all. If y'all would please turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. This is the last sermon that you're going to hear from the Old Testament this year. And uh, so all of us have been reading through the Old Testament, and now we are here at the end in Malachi chapter 1. And as you know, the summer is winding down. And I don't know if your parents are like my parents, but when I was a kid, I mean, by this time in the summer, my parents were ready for us to go back to school. I don't know if it was just we just spent too much time together. We didn't have, like, all the 50 directions, different directions that all the kids go today, all the camps and stuff. We were at the house all summer. And so maybe we just got tired of each other, but they were like, I mean, it got to the point where my mom was like, in the morning, just go outside, and I'll see you at lunchtime. And then after lunch, just go outside, and I'll see you at dark. Okay, that's just the way it was. So, so we had to get creative on, on, on playtime that we had outside. We would play, you know, yard ball and street hockey and all those things the kids would do. But once we got really bored, what we would do is we would go to the side of the house and we would start digging up some really good ingredients, right? And we would make a, a, a mouth-watering, delicious mud pie. And y'all, y'all remember making mud pies, right? And we were good at it, too. You will make it all look really good, like a chocolate pie. That was my favorite dessert at growing up, was a chocolate pie. My grandma made the best with the six-inch meringue on top and the, the creamy chocolate filling. It was the best. And so you got the mud pies and you got the chocolate pie. And I'm telling you, you can imagine that your, your taste buds are going to react a little differently to each one of those. One of them, you're going to have some heavenly thoughts. It's going to be a wonderful experience for you. But the other is going to be pretty disgusting, and you're going to try to get that outside of your body as soon as, as possible. And because it's worthless, it's useless, it's inedible, it just doesn't mean anything. And so in Malachi chapter 1, right here, we come to this text, and we're going to learn, he's going to show us what worthless worship looks like to him. So basically, what's going on here is the Israelites, they had uh, chocolate pies, and they had mud pies, and for some reason, they had gotten so far off in their relationship with God that they were slinging mud pies on the altar to God instead of giving them their best. And so today, each of us in here, we're going to answer the question. We're all going to answer the question, including myself. Is this, is my worship, what I'm offering to the Lord on a daily basis, is it worthy or is it worthless? And Malachi exposes for us several indicators of worthless worship. And the first indicator of worthless worship here we see is a disrespect for his name through our actions and our attitudes. And we'll see this in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. That's the way it usually works. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And so here in this passage, the Lord is exposing to the people their attitudes and their actions of disrespect for the Lord. 
And he's telling them that you, as if you would assume this to be true, he gives us an illustration, and you would assume it to be true. He's like, guys, let's logic this thing out here. You have a son, and that son has a right uh, perspective on life. He knows about life, and he knows about the law and the moral law that I have set up and the structure of the family and how that's set up. And you would assume that that son would honor his father, that that's just part of it. I mean, that, that's, this is the, it holds the entire family structure together. That's why it's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. They, they knew this. And this word honor here, it literally means something that is heavy or something that is, is made heavy. And figuratively, it means something that is of value. And so if it's heavier, then that would assume, you would assume that it's of more value. And so, and so in giving honor to someone, what you're doing is you're making them more valuable in your eyes. You're, you're giving them more value that they have there. And he also uses the word fear. If I am a master, where is my fear? And yes, this is the shaking in the boots type fear. But it's also a reverential type fear. I mean, this is an awe. This is a, a respect that you have for your master. And so I think all of us in here would agree that, that we never grow out of, you never get too old in order to honor and respect your parents, right? Your father and your mother. You never grow out of that. Even after they pass away, you still honor them. You still want to show them value, give them value in their life. And he's saying here, just as you obey and you honor and you respect your parents on earth, hey, I'm your father too. Don't forget that. I'm your father too. Where is my honor? Where is my respect? And what greater father do we have than him? He says, I have loved you like a father for centuries now. I've taken care of you. I've encouraged you like a father. I've come beside you. I've protected you like a father. He doesn't want them to forget this. And if anyone deserves our honor and respect, if anyone deserves the real chocolate pie, it should be our father in heaven. But instead of honor and respect, it says here, it says that you despise my name. What does that mean? It means that you hold my name into con in contempt. You, you despise, whenever you think of my name, you go, yuck. I don't want any part of, part of that. It's the opposite of, of respect. It's the opposite of showing honor to someone. And these are the spiritual leaders. It says to you, O priests, right? These, these are the guys that should know better. They have the law. They have the knowledge of God. They have the histories where they can go back and they can see how God had laid out and how he had protected them like a father. They can look back and see. And still, they weren't. They, they came across here completely ignorant uh, because they had been blinded by their disrespect for God. I mean, they really thought, they were convinced that what they were doing, these sacrifices that they were honoring, they, that they were offering to him, that this is what God deserves, that this is enough for him. That's it. That's all he needs. And they had gotten to the point, they were so blinded that they asked the question, how have we despised your name? What, what are you talking about? What, what have we done to despise your name? And he answers, he says, by offering polluted food on my altar. And so through the sacrificial system, and y'all know this, we've been reading through the whole Old Testament together now. And so y'all understand the sacrificial system where they had to bring sacrifices as worship to God, these burnt offerings, these sin offerings, the, uh, the, the uh, 
offering of incense that they would have to, to offer to him. And they, they had all these sacrifices that they would bring, and the, poli- the, the uh, priest's job was to, to police the sacrifices, okay? So they would bring in their sacrifice, and they would police it. So they would get God's word out, and they would make sure, okay, they would look at it, make sure that sacrifice is directly in accordance with God's word. And that's, that wasn't happening right here. And so they were showing disrespect in this way, and they were offering sacrifices that were not appropriate, that were not according to God's word, and it was embarrassing, and it was worthless, and it was just a waste of time. And he respond, they respond in verse 7, look at here, look at how they change it. They say, how have we polluted you? You notice how they changed the question? Because they, they knew that they were, what they were doing was wrong. They knew that their sacrifices were not good, not according to God's word. And so to cover themselves, they, they asked the question, well, yeah, but how are we despising you? I mean, why couldn't we just go through the motions and everything would be okay? Why don't we just, can't, why can't you just be okay with what we're doing here and it, just call it good? And the Lord says, it has everything to do with me. By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. You despise my table, you despise me. You despise what you're offering to me, my, the worship that you're giving to me, then you despise me. And so I want you to get this principle, and we're going to be talking about this throughout the entire time that we have together, but this is the principle that we need to stick with right here, is that our level of respect for God, how much we truly value Him, is indicated by what we offer to Him every single day. I want you to get that. Our level of respect for God, how much we value Him, is indicated by what we are offering to Him every single day. And so this is... He's saying this is about you and me, that our relationship here is not right. Something is off here in our relationship. This is not good, what's happening here. And it's indicated by your offering. It's indicated by how you're approaching yourself to me and how you're coming to me. It's indicated by your actions and your attitudes of your heart here. Many of you know, uh, knew of John, Brother John Bayless, a uh, man full of wisdom, passed away a few years ago, um, made a huge impact on my life. And Brother John, this is one of the things that he used to say. And um, I actually have this written down in a journal. And it says, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. If you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. And isn't that the truth? For everything, if you're living and you're displeasing to God, it doesn't matter whatever else you do, Right? advancing in your career, your kids uh, getting on the honor roll, all the good things. I mean, you could be doing all kinds of good things, but if you're still living to displease God, it doesn't matter. That's a waste of time. And so they have disrespected his name in this way. But he goes even further in verse 8. Not only were they disrespecting his name, but they were also disregarding his desires. I want us to look at that in verse 8. It says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice... Is that not evil? And when you offer the lame or the sick, is that not evil? He's going back to Deuteronomy 15.21. And listen, this is, this is what Deuteronomy 15.21 says. It says, If an animal has a defect, is lame or blind, or has a serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Never would you ever do that. 
You see, in the Old Testament, they were told, you bring your first fruits to the Lord. You bring the best of the best, and you offer it on the sacrifice on the altar there. This shows their devotion to God, but it also showed their dependence on God. And, and this, is, this is what, what was happening. They, were, they had the good, they had the best, and they had the leftovers. And they decided, hey, we'll give the leftovers instead. And of course, there was a concern, right? There's a concern here that, that they're going to, I mean, just think about it. You logic it out in your mind. You think, okay, if I give over my best, then what's going to happen is my, the worst, the left, they're going to reproduce. And pretty soon, I'm going to be left with a bad flock, right? And so they, instead of trusting God that he's going to provide, instead of trusting God and being dependent on him in this, they were offering their leftovers, what, what they left. They actually thought that they knew what was best for them. And notice what the Lord says in response here. He says, hey, present that to your governor. <laughs> Will he accept or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts, you wouldn't even give this to your governor. Why in the world would you ever give me this? Be like if someone came over your house, someone really important, president or someone high up there. I mean, you can imagine what you would do. I mean, get the kids together. Let's go clean the house. Make it spotless. Everything needs to be in its place, right? Set the table. Let's put up the chinette and get out the china and put up the solo cups and get out the, the, the glassware, Right? And after you set the table, you're not going to go to the refrigerator and you're like, hey, honey, this casserole that we had last week, you think, you think that's still good? <laughs> no, no, you're going to get out the family recipe, that, that recipe that's from generation to generation. It's the best that you can offer them. And with the brand, not the generic ingredients, the brand name ingredients, and you're going to make sure it's just awesome for them. It's going to be the best. And, and, and this is what's happening here. That he said, you don't even do this with secular humans. Why would it ever cross your mind to do this with your spiritual father? It's just not anybody. This is the God of heaven we're talking about. So think again about that principle. Our offering to the Lord is an indicator of our devotion for the Lord and how much we truly do value him in our lives. And so until you can come to the point in your life where you can truly say, Dear Father, you have everything. You have my all. You have my best. Until you can come to that point, you're going to have a problem giving him anything. And isn't that truth? Why, why is that the case? Because if, you, if that's your mindset, what you've convinced yourself is that you're owners of things and families and traditions and, and, and relationships. You're owners instead of stewards. And so you're always going to have a hard time giving away what you feel like that you own whenever you need to realize that it's God who owns everything anyways. And so if you have that mindset, God, you have my everything because it's already yours, then it's easy to give back what's back uh, to him, what's already his, right? It's, our, it's easy to do that. And then what happens is you give back to, to him what's his, and then he gives you more. And that's how that, that process works because you're dependent on him and you're giving him your best. And so now... At this point, God can legitimately ask you, if you, okay, if your heart is truly right with me and this relationship is, is good and it's right and it's healthy, then, then why is it? Man, it just seems like you're, you're just all in for all these other things. 
I mean, you, they just get your best. Sports, hobbies, uh, work, all, all these things. They just seem to get your best, and I'm just kind of left with what's left. Why is that the case? Is that the attitude of your heart? I want to experience the absolute best that you have. I heard a story of two children, a brother and a sister, and they were, they were reenacting the, the story of Noah. And so he was Mr. Noah, and she was Mrs. Noah, right? And so they, they got together a, a shoebox here, and, and that was going to be their ark. And they put a few animals and a few things in it, and they put it in the tub. The tub was full, and that was their flood. And so they kind of floated around a little bit. And then the, the brother would go and pull the plug, and the water would go down, and the ark would rest on, on dry land. And so after that, the brother, knew it, knowing the story, he said, okay, we need to make an offering to the Lord. We need to make a, a sacrifice over to him. And uh, he said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we sacrifice your, your animal, your, your stuffed animal? Over? She said, no way. <laughs> I'm not, you offer your animal to him. And he said, not a chance. And so they went back and forth, back and forth for a while. And, and finally, she had an idea. She said, wait here, I have an idea. So she ran and she went up to the attic and, and she found these old boxes that were all dusty and stuff. She started scrambling through these old boxes. And finally, she came down with this lamb. And this was a rough-looking lamb. I mean, its face was beat in and, and its tail was off and it was just dirty-looking. And she said, hey, I've got a sacrifice to the Lord. We're not going to play with them anyways. So we might as well just give it over to the Lord. And... and I think you get the picture here, what's going on with these people, that this is what he's saying, that are we giving him what's best or what's left? And we have to understand that before God accepts our offering, he always inspects our heart. Before God accepts our offering, he always inspects our heart. And therefore, here's another principle, the worth of the gift that you're giving is determined by how much it's worth to the offerer, to the one offering it. The worth of the gift that you're giving is determined by how much it's worth to the one offering it. I mean, this is, this is how it works. This is what he's concerned about. And so we disrespect his name through our attitudes and our actions. We disregard his desires. We keep what's best instead of, we keep, we keep what's best and we give him what's left. And the third thing I want you to see here in verse 13, you'll see a third indicator of worthless worship and that's just you just flat out become disinterested you're just not interested at all look at what it says in verse 13 it says but you say what a weariness this is and you snort at it says the lord of hosts you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick and and this you bring is your offering shall i accept that from your hand says the lord so last week, Brother Sean, he preached on the great revival that happened to the Israelites, um, that Nehemiah chapter 8 revival where all the people came together. Y'all remember the story? All the people came together and Ezra stood up on his platform and he, he, he spoke the words of God. He spoke the law to them. And whenever they did, I mean, everyone just fell on their faces, worshiping God, crying, repenting, and confessing their sins before God. And it was just a great revival. I mean, you would call that a mountaintop experience for those people that they had here. But, but they were soon going to learn that you can't stay on the mountaintop forever. At some point, 
you got to take what you learned on the mountaintop and you got to take it into the valley in your daily life where it gets tough, where you have to remain faithful to God and you have to work those things out in your life, those lessons that you learned on the mountaintop. And so this text right here, you have to understand, like, it might be far away in, as far as uh, in the Bible, you know, um, but this is maybe a few years after what we just read last week uh, that happened. It wasn't very long that happened. And so they're now in the valley. They've gotten off the mountaintop. They're now in the valley, and they're starting to work the things out, the sacrificial system, the law that he gave in place, all the things that they learned up there. And then it gets to the point where they say this, what a weariness this is. Another translation says, what a nuisance. In other words, they just got bored. They got bored and their living to please God became a burden more than a blessing. And they would have to travel to Jerusalem from their hometowns for weeks at a time to go and sacrifice these things to the altar. And it was just, it was just a monotonous thing. It became something they just checked off their list just something routine that they, they do. And it just got bored. It got frustrating. It get, they got weary of it. And because of that, the people started to give unacceptable sacrifices that were not good to God. It's like they were saying, okay, okay, Bob, it's your turn. Come on. What did you bring to sacrifice? Well, I found this roadkill on the way up here. Is that, you think that'll be okay? Well, I'm sure it'll be okay. Let's just put it up there. We'll throw it up there. Next. I mean, this was, this was their heart. This is where they had come to. They were disinterested and they were bored. I mean, have you, have you ever been there? I feel like all of us have been there at some point. In this season of my life, man, I'm just, I'm in the valley. <laughs> I can tell I am in the valley right now and it's just bored, I'm weary, and I just can't do it anymore. And I'm just pushing through it with my strength instead of his strength. And just instead of being continually faithful in service to him, we just kind of, fall out. I just don't feel like it anymore. Man, I'm telling you, I just don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like serving this year. I just don't feel like showing love to my coworkers today. And our lives become this roller coaster of our feelings. And that's what drives us instead of a faithful determination, a faithful perseverance with the strength of God in our lives. That's what should happen in the valleys after getting off of the mountaintops. And so you realize if you get into that point that we are the ones that are missing out, that we're the ones missing out of the great blessings of God because we've become so disinterested in the things of God and we become more interested in the fun things of the world and we miss out. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I love this quote. It says this. It says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what it's meant to be offered a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. See, this world has somehow deceived us into thinking that following God is not satisfying enough, and so we can just get bored and, and lazy. And I want you to look at how God responds to this in verse 10. Look at how he responds. It says, Oh, that there, would, there were one among you who would just shut the doors, <laughs> that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. 
I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. It's worthless. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. His name will be great. And he says, even though you go through the processes and you're, you're making all the sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it's all in vain. He says, it's empty, it's worthless. And I'm sure they were working up a sweat as they were doing it, and they were making them look like they were just doing so much and, and, and being so good. But it was, God wasn't in it, and so it was just worthless. He was not pleased. It was for nothing. Every time they took that knife to slay that lamb, that whatever it was, it was like a knife in the heart of God. Every time they slapped those mud pies on the altar, it was saying, hey, God, this is what we think of you right here. This is, what, this is how much we value you right here. And, so God, and so, so God says, I would rather just lock the doors, put out the fire, than for you to come to worship with disrespect in your heart, a disregard for my desires and just flat out being disinterested. Just shut the doors. I could care less about their worship in that way. And so what, what is it that we can, as people today, what can we take home from this? What can we use this in our lives? We go home today, go to work tomorrow, whatever school comes back soon. How can we use this in our lives? There's two things that I want you to get from this passage today. The first thing is, is that, that you are to accept his best for you because that's exactly what he gave you. You accept his best because that's what he gave you. I want you to look back in verse 2 real quick. You'll see that he starts this entire book with what should be the foundation for everything in their lives, their motivation. He starts this off here, and he says, I have loved you. I have loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. I have loved you. I, I have loved you. Look back. I have loved you. He said, how, how have you loved us? Man, just look back and see how Basically, he's saying here in this passage how I protected you and I destroyed your enemies before you. That's what he's saying here in that passage, those next couple of verses. I protected you and I destroyed your, your enemies among you. I have loved you. And I hope that as we finish the Old Testament, I hope that's one of the main things that you've learned through all the Old Testament. You can look back now and you can see how faithful God was to his people, how much he truly loved them like a father. In, in spite of the fact of their disobedience, in spite of the fact of their unfaithfulness to him, he still loved them and persevered with them through the end. He loved them. And I hope as, as you take that, as we take that right there, that you understand more than anything, anything else you forget today. Just remember this one point. Whenever he says, I have loved you. I have loved you. And you say, well, how has he loved us? When I survey the wondrous cross on which my Prince of Glory died, 
my richest gain, I, I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his hand, his head, his hands, and his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love or sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? If you're here today and you've never accepted that great gift of his great love for you, I want to tell I want you to, I want to tell you today that he has offered his best for you today. He has offered his best. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. His best he offered up for you today. And that second, that second verse of that song says this. It says, after, after experiencing that right there, were, were the whole realm of nature mine, if everything was mine, that would be an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Demands everything. And so that brings us to our second application point, that the truth of his love should spur within us the greatest motivation to give him our best instead of what's left. We offer him our best instead of what's left. First, Second Timothy 1.9 says this. I love this verse. It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. In Romans 12, 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in the view of God's mercies, to offer now, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, the whole chocolate pie. You offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him, because that is your spiritual act of worship. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God of God. So are we giving him our best or are we just giving him what's left? Think about that. If it helps, I want you to break your life up into three different categories. First, time. When it comes to your time, are you giving him what's best or are you just giving him what's left? Are you giving the first fruits of your life, of your time, or just what's left? Are you showing him value through your time and through your schedule? For me, the nighttime before bed, that, that's my leftovers. It might not be for you, but that's my leftovers. I, I like to read a lot in bed all, all the time. But this is what happens. That's, I start nodding off right back because it's the leftovers of my day. That's kind of what's left after everything else has happened. And so are you giving him that time, that the best time of your day? Brother Carlton, he gave me some advice one time, and I tr still try to stick with this today. One thing that he said he would do is that he gives his Saturday evenings over to the Lord. And so he's not going to stay out late on Saturday evenings. He's not going to go to bed late. He's going to make sure his heart is prepared for worship. Why? Because we are going to worship in the morning. And we are coming together, and we are going to worship our King and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to offer what is best in that moment right there that I have with him in service and love to him. Are you redeeming your life, your time, for the honor and the glory of God. Your time, your talents, every single one of us in here, 
as believers, we have gifts that he has graciously offered over to us. I mean, the gift of teaching, the gift of song and music, of administration, of hospitality, all these things, every single one of us have that, have that, have a gift that he's given us. Are we offering our best over to him in service and in love to him? And then thirdly, our treasures. You got your time, you got your talent, and you got your treasure, your, your resources that God has graciously given as a steward to him. You may, you may say, man, I don't have any money. I don't, it's, it's not really about the gift here. It's about the heart behind the gift that you're giving. And so I want to close with this. This goes along with this, this story. I heard a, a story of an African woman that was saved in a, in a little African church in a village, and she was baptized there. And, and that Sunday, he preached a sermon, and one of the things he mentioned was tithing, the importance of giving over to, to the Lord. And, and so at the end, just like here, the offering plate passes to her, and, and by the time she got to her, she, man, I don't have any money to give. And so this is what she did. She, she took the offering plate, and she set it out in the aisle, and she stood in the offering plate, and she said, Lord, I don't have any money to give, but you can have all of me. And that's what he wants from you today. Pray with me, please. Where are you at in your relationship with God? Have you accepted his best for you? Because that's what he's offering to you today. And because of that, right there, that great love that he's shown for you, in response to that, are you giving him what's best in your life, or are you just giving him what's left? I mean, can you imagine what it would be if every single one of us in here, me first, I commit to the Lord today from here on out, I strive, dear Father, to give you what's best in my life instead of what's just left. What God could do with something like that. And that's what I want you to pray about today. Where are you at in your relationship with him? Let's evaluate ourselves. Our worship, is it worthless or is it worthy? Let me pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this word of truth. My goodness, it applies so much to our lives today in our worship with you. And I pray, I pray that as by the time that we leave in this place, we will all have the commitment, dear Father, after realizing the great depths of the love that you have shown us, that we would never even consider giving you less than what is best in our life, that that would be our offering over to you, dear Father. We thank you for your grace and your love that you pour out on us every single day because we need that. We desperately need that. So be with us right now, dear Father. May your spirit move in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen.